today. Our text is Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 41. If you will, this morning, stand one last time in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 41, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Again with me, look at verse 41. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Father, we thank You this morning. We thank You for who You are. God, that You are the unchanging One. And God, that there is none other but You. You alone are God. And Father, this morning we are honored, Father, to come together to worship You, Father, to open up the inspired, infallible Word of God, Father, to sing praises, Lord, to You and You alone. Father, I pray this morning, right now, that You would help me to preach in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. God, that You would guide me and direct me, Lord. Father, we pray that Your Spirit would speak to hearts, and God, that this morning, in the way that only You can, that You would break through the prideful wall of man, Lord, that causes us to turn a deaf ear to Your Word, that causes us to spin it so that it doesn't seem to apply to us. This morning, may Your Spirit, God, crash through that wall. Father, we pray that You would save sinners, Lord, and God, that You would take the veil off of the eyes of their heart that they might see their need for a Savior and come to You this morning finding salvation in You and You alone, Lord. Father, show us Your glory this morning, Father. Give us understanding into Your Word, God, that it might produce fruit. And Lord, we'll be careful to give You and You only the honor, the praise, the glory that You deserve for You alone are the only one that can do any good thing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to preach to you a sermon thought titled, Going the Second Mile. Going the Second Mile. I've preached this sermon one time before. A few of you have heard it at another church. And this morning I want to share it with the rest of Crossway. The Second Mile. Whoever compels you to go one mile... Go with Him too. Today, before we get to the second mile, I first want to deal with the first mile. What is the first mile? Notice that it was what was asked of the man. Whoever compels you to go one mile. The first mile represents to us the fun and the exciting part of our walk. When I was saved, and I I thank God that the fire continually burns, but when I was saved, it was just like the whole world was changed. I I couldn't believe it, that this, this thing was real. It's not about religion. It's not about going to church. It's not about belonging to this group of people or that group of people. The eyes of my heart were opened and I realized there is a God in heaven. He's willing to forgive me of all of my sins and make me His own. And my life was changed radically. I was born again the moment I put my faith in Him, raised to life a new person. The old things passed away. All things became new. And the only thing that I wanted to do was serve God. That first mile represents that fun and exciting part. It's what comes natural. 
once you get saved. I mean, you just want the world to know. You want your family members to know. You want, you want everybody to know this thing's for real. There's power to change. It's exciting. It's fun. But eventually something happens. And you find out life still goes on. And that people are still people. And that bad things still happen. I remember being in that, that, that first phase of my, my uh, Christian walk. It was almost like God protected me the same way that we would protect an infant. There was just no harm. There seemed to be, everything seemed to go good. And, and, and even though things weren't going as well as I thought they were, it was like God blinded me to it. And I just thought everybody gets along. Everything's so perfect in this, in the, in this world. And, and, but, but something begins to happen as you walk out your faith where all of a sudden you begin to realize, whoa, life is still going on. And it can be an overwhelming thing. It's in that first mile that everybody goes. It's the easy part of the journey. You're not tired there yet. Everything seems to be going well. It's also what everybody else does. You've got a lot of people there with you in the first mile. Everybody else is willing to go that first mile. Everybody else walks it. That first mile, if you'll notice, is what is required. In this sermon here that Jesus is giving, probably one of the most important sermons to help us understand grace that Jesus gives anywhere. We live in a society that says, well, I'll just live how I want to live. It's all underneath grace. I'll just do what I want to do. It's all underneath grace. But Jesus teaches us that grace actually raises the bar. He says, your law has said to do this, but I tell you, take it up a notch. Grace raises the bar. And in that first mile, we see what is required of us. And it is amazing how many people will go to the edge of that first mile and then go no further. It's almost as if many of us live with the mentality of, tell me what I have to do to be right with God and I'll do that. But I don't want to go any further. I don't want to move any further along in my faith. I don't want to be that radical Christian. I don't want to be that person that's always in the Word or that's sharing my faith. You just tell me, where's the line that I have to get to and I will go that far? You see, that's the first mile. And most people are willing to go that first mile. But Jesus says this, He that compels you to go one mile... Go with Him too. Today I want to talk to you about what the second mile looks like. I want to talk to you about living a life that goes above and beyond what everybody else does. You know, one of the worst things that we can do as Christians is compare our Christian walk to somebody else's. When I stand before God, God's not going to take all the rest of you and say, well, you did more than this brother or sister, but you didn't do quite as much as this one. And He's not going to judge me based upon what you do. One of the worst things we can do is try to determine, if you will, and judge ourselves when I look at my own life and I deal with my own Christianity and I deal with my own relationship with God. One of the worst things I can do is judge that based on what everybody else does because for the most part, rarely will people ever go beyond that first mile. And I want to judge myself by what He has called me to do. By His Word, by His life. And I must look at what my Master did. I must look at what my Savior did. And I must ask myself, is He in me? And am I allowing Him to live His life through me so that He is glorified? Or for me, for my life, the most part, do I simply just want to go that first mile? Do I want to be that person that fits in with the crowd? 
I got a little bit of church, a little bit of religion, a little bit of this on this side, a little bit on that side. And if you were to just look at the mass of people uh, that call themselves Christians, I'm pretty much right there in the middle. Or do you want to go the second mile? This morning, I want to submit to you that Jesus is not suggesting that we go the second mile. This is actually a command from your Savior. If you are a blood-bought, born-again child of God here this morning, you are commanded by your Savior to go the second mile. Not to stop at the first mile. Not to stop where everybody else stops. Not to stop at the easy part. Not to stop when it starts to get hard. But to keep pressing forward and to go that second mile. So what does the second mile look like this morning? It's about raising the bar. I can tell you that the second mile is not easy. It's not easy to walk there. It's not easy to go there. It's not easy to continue to live there. And most often, you will go it alone. Notice that it wasn't expected or asked of. This morning, God doesn't want us simply to do what we're expected or asked of. He wants us to take it a step further than that. He wants us to love Him because we love Him. He wants me to serve Him because I love Him. He wants me to do the things I do because I love Him. I long to please Him. I want to serve Him. I want to see Him glorified. And not because I'm expected to or because there's some list of rules and regulations that say, Joplin, do this thing, do this thing, and do this thing. And don't do this, this, and this. And God's going to be happy with you. God wants us to serve Him and love Him out of the abundance of our heart, the love we have for Him, And we will do that when we go the second mile. But most of the time you'll go alone. I believe, not all, I don't want to use a, uh, I don't want to exaggerate this, but I believe about 80% of all ministry that changes eternity, 80% of ministry that God breathes on, that produces life and fruit, is ministry that's done in the second mile. You will most often go alone. And this is one of the reasons, not the only, but this is one of the reasons that you will find the will of God in the second mile. Because when you're there alone, and when you're out there serving God, and you're going that second mile, and you've gone further, if you will, than everybody else who stops at that mile mark, There's nobody else there to pat you on the back and say, wow, good job, Joplin, way to preach. There's nobody there watching you do the things that you do saying, wow, and man's applause begins to fade away and you know the only person watching, the only person seeing what you're doing is God Himself. And friend, in that place, if you're not doing what you're doing for Him and Him alone, you will retreat back to the place where everybody else stays so that you can hear the applause of man. It is in the second mile that we really begin to die to ourselves. That we say, God, I'm going to keep marching. I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep loving. I'm going to keep praying. And I'm going to keep moving forward no matter what everybody else does. No matter if nobody sees me. No matter if nobody understands it. No matter if nobody is thankful for the effort that I put into this family or my marriage or my ministry. You alone know God. And I will press Forward in that second mile. It's in that place that we find whether or not we're really doing what we do for God and God alone. It's not easy. And most often you will go alone. I believe it is in the second mile that we really begin to learn the will of our Father. Jesus modeled the perfect life for each and every one of us. Jesus' ultimate goal was to do the will of the Father. He lived and breathed and died to do the will of the Father. 
And if there was ever anybody that showed us what it looked like to go the second mile, it was our Savior. In which ways did He show us the second mile? First of all, before we look at Jesus living out the second mile, I also want to say that the second mile comes when it feels like we've done our part. When we feel like we've gone far enough, and when everybody else will tell you that you've done enough. The second mile doesn't come until we feel like we've done our part. This is what was asked of me. It's not easy to push forward when no one appreciates it. And I think if we're honest, each and every one of us would say this morning, there are times in my life when I've just said, you know what? I've done enough. I've tried. I've witnessed to this person. I've prayed for this person. I've done this. I've been loving to this person at work that that doesn't care how loving I am. I've done enough. Enough with that. I'm not going any further. And I quit. The second mile comes when you hit that wall. The second mile comes when you feel like, you know what? I have done my part. And this morning, can I tell you, man, if you'll just step over that threshold and step into that second mile and say, I'm going to keep going, whether it hurts, whether I feel like it, I might be tired and tired and tired of dealing with this over and over and over again. Child of God, press on into that second mile. You will find the will of the Father. And it is in that place that I believe miracles happen. And when I say miracles, I mean people getting saved. I mean God answering prayers. I mean that wall that just seems never to get penetrated with that employee or that person you're working with. All of a sudden, you take that second mile. You keep loving. You keep forgiving. You keep pressing on. And you start to see that wall break down and the barriers fade away. It is in that place that God's work is done. That's why I say I believe 80% of ministry that really affects eternity cannot be done anywhere other than the second mile. It is in the second mile that we begin fighting ourselves. We begin justifying turning back. Goplin, it doesn't. Why would you keep trying? Why don't you just give up and let it go? Why don't you just accept defeat in this area? This is something out of your control anyways. You spend a lot of time praying about it. Move on and pray about something else. Sometimes we've been, we've been believing God for faith for something in our life. Maybe it's a, a, a loved one to be saved. Maybe it's a special need. Whatever it is. And we find ourselves trying to push through there. And it's in that second mile when you're out there all alone. And you know it. And everybody's thinking, come on. That, he's never going to get saved. You're killing yourself trying to win this person to the Lord. Just let it go. And you know you're out there alone, believing by faith alone, and you start to say to yourself, this is hard. This is killing me. It is in the second mile we begin to fight ourselves. We begin to learn what it really means to walk by faith. And we begin to see, do I really desire the will of the Father? Or do I desire my will? Today we're going to look at Jesus grappling and just falling in the garden of Gethsemane before God and saying, God, if there's any way, let this thing pass. Let it pass. Let it pass. But nonetheless, Your will be done. And God said, My will be done. And He got up and He kept going forward. It is in that place where we begin to justify turning back. We begin to argue with ourselves and say, why are you trying so hard? Nobody else is trying. Nobody else is praying like that. Nobody else is serving like that. Nobody else is here. And thus, this is exactly why you find it's here in the will of God. No one else is around again to applaud you. And the pride of man's approval is absent. Only God sees the work in the second mile. 
Therefore, there's no reason to even enter into it unless you're doing what you do for God and God alone. What ways did Jesus model for us the life of the second mile? It seems like in the last two months, a, one of the themes that has come up during, whether it's church, or Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, is that our Lord has never asked us to do anything that He didn't first do for us. And when He said to go the second mile, He lived it and He modeled it. And I want to share with you four ways today that Jesus showed us what the second mile looks like. First of all, we see the second mile of forgiveness and love. As I thought about some of the ways that He modeled this, we learn in John chapter 6 that Jesus knew from the beginning who He was that would betray Him. Jesus knew that Judas would turn his back on him. And yet knowing the wickedness of Judas's heart, yet knowing the thing that Judas would eventually do to Jesus, we see Jesus treat Judas with the same love, the same respect, and the same compassion that he does the rest of his disciples. We see Jesus allow Judas into his elite circle at the certain times when he would sit down and explain to them the parables and would and would open up to them the meaning of the things that he would speak to the crowds, Jesus continued to love Judas despite knowing what was in his heart. And he asked the question, if you love those that love you, what difference is that from even what the tax collectors do? I'm talking about the second mile of love and forgiveness. You know what most Christians do? Because we play the religious game. We act like we forgive people. If Brother Steve here does me wrong, really I'm angry with him and and I'm wishing he'd leave the church and that he'd never shoot another deer and that he'd waste his time hunting and that God would make his hunting trips miserable. But, I know that I'm commanded to forgive. And God says, unless I forgive, I will not be forgiven. So what I do is I act like I forgive Steve. I pretend to like him when he's around. I even feel good about myself because, really, I don't like Steve, but I act like I do. So I pat myself on the back. Good job, Joplin. Way to be nice to Steve today. That's forgiveness. No, it's not. Forgiveness is honestly desiring that God bless Steve. Forgiveness is coming to a place where from the depth of my heart I'm praying for Steve that God would use him and that God would bless him and that he'd get a deer when he's out hunting. I'm talking about learning though. Learning to forgive people and love people that don't want your forgiveness and don't want your love. Because we also play that game as Christians. I've heard people say, well, you know, Jesus doesn't ever save anybody until they ask to be saved, so I'm not forgiving anybody or treating them nice until they ask for forgiveness. That's the first mile. That's back over here. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul said, Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. For in so doing, you will reap hot coals upon their head. You know, if you really want to see somebody saved and you begin to love somebody with the love of God, when they do you wrong, when they don't care, when they're trying to push your buttons, if you'll just keep loving them and overcoming their evil with the goodness of God, you'll find eventually you will begin to penetrate walls that nobody else could penetrate. You know, there's nothing worse than being rude to somebody and, uh, and, and, and you know you're wrong and you know you don't have any justification for it and that person just keeps loving you anyways. I'm talking about going the second mile. Jesus did this with Judas. I think about the second mile of forgiveness. We see a woman in John chapter 8 caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus simply says to her, Has no one condemned you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Understand that Jesus doesn't just take our sin and sweep it underneath of the carpet. 
Understand that when Jesus looked at that woman caught in the act of adultery and said to her, I do not condemn you, He had the authority to say it because one day He would die on a cross and He would bleed there for her sins so that He had the authority to forgive her. And He told her to go and sin no more. But immediately He forgave her. And then I think about, talk about the second mile. Talk about forgiving people that you that don't want forgiven. And remember, it's a command. And Jesus finds Himself crucified in Luke chapter 23, verses 34 and 35. And He says to those who are crucifying Him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He tells us later in the very same uh, sermon, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 15, that if you do not forgive men their trespasses, God will not forgive you. One of the areas we've got to learn to go the second mile in our faith is the second mile of forgiveness. Love and compassion to those who have done us wrong. He modeled it for us. This morning, is there anybody in your life that you won't forgive? Is there anybody that you're justifying right now in your heart and in your mind? Well, I'm not going to love this person. I'm not going to forgive this person. And if you get past the surface and what you look like you're doing and you deal with the heart, the reality is there's not forgiveness in there. Go the second mile this morning. It is in that place that you will find the will of God. We see the second mile of forgiveness and love. We see with Jesus the second mile of commitment to the things of God and the house of God. Jesus spent a lot of times in the synagogue. We find that in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. He taught in them in Matthew chapter 13. He healed in them in Luke chapter 4 and Mark chapter 3. And He debated in them the Torah in John chapter 6. Jesus was committed to being in the house of God. Jesus was there looking for opportunities to teach, looking for opportunities to influence, looking for opportunities to do the will of the Father. When you begin to see the purpose of fellowship, when you begin to see the purpose of coming together, that it's not all about me just filling a spot in a pew, listening to the preacher preach, sing a few songs, and then go and then come back over and over again. When you begin to see this is about a body and that you have something to contribute, that what you're feeling, what you're thinking is important, and that you, you play a role in the healthy, vital part of the living body of Christ, and it is in that place where we come together on a regular basis where we can encourage one another, edify one another, lift one another up, pour out myself if I'm having a bad day or a bad week, and have my brothers and sisters pray for me. Church is a whole lot more than simply coming and listening to me preach. And in that place of going the second mile, you begin to find the spiritual growth that you won't find anywhere else. Please understand my heart this morning. I desire to see each and every one of you used by God. But I can say in ten years of ministry, people who are not committed to the house of God when the doors are open are people that generally never enter into that second mile. Am I saying you've got to be here every single service? It's not what I'm saying. That's not the point. The point is this, that Jesus was about the Father's business. That at 12 years old, He found Himself sitting in the synagogues asking questions and even speaking of wisdom beyond His age. And His parents came to Him and said, what are you doing here? We left several days ago. His response at 12 years old, do you not know I have to be about my Father's business? When you begin to see the body as something that you have a responsibility to, to do your part, to be part of, Coming to church all of a sudden is not this dreadful thing that you just got to get out of your week because it's part of your religious schedule. 
It's the place where you draw life, where you encourage one another and where you are encouraged. We see Jesus Himself went the second mile of commitment to the house of the Lord. He went the second mile of forgiveness. I want to look at the second mile of service to a lost, hurting, and dying people. I tell people that get serious about ministry, don't take this wrong, but it's not the majority, but I tell people to get serious about ministry, not to be discouraged when people don't want to be helped. We live in a lost and a hurting and a dying world filled with lost, hurting, and dying people. And we will serve them and serve them and serve them. And the majority of them will turn away. You know, one of the things we saw with the life of Jesus, Jesus brought grace and truth. Jesus would do something great like feed 5,000 men plus women and children with just a few loaves and, uh, and, and a little bit of, uh, with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. He would do this great thing and crowds would flock and they'd talk about, look what He did and how He fed all of us. And then He'd preach to them the truth. That unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. Jesus would heal somebody with blinded eyes and everybody would hear about it and they'd be talking about it and then He'd preach a message about their blindness and they'd turn from Him. You remember in, I believe it's John chapter 6. It might be 5, but I believe it's John chapter 6, somewhere in there, where Jesus does the feeding of the 5,000 plus men, plus women and children. And we find that the next day, they all follow Him and they're flocking and they're trying to figure out where He is. He says, well, you came to Me just because I fed you last night. And He begins to preach to them the truth of repenting and following after Him and taking Him in as their own. Eating His flesh. The Bible tells us in John chapter 6 that at the end of that sermon... Many left Him. I'm going to ask you the question. When are you going to give up reaching out to people? When they turn and leave? When they abandon you? When you pour your life into reaching them and you're sharing with them the Gospel, you're telling them that Jesus is the only way. He is your hope. He's your answer. You poured yourself in and you prayed and you've given them time and then all of a sudden, they turn and walk out. It can be discouraging. And if you're only going to go the first mile with people, you'll stop right there. Jesus said, I'll just keep on loving and I'll just keep on serving. I'll go to the next town and I'll heal somebody. I'll spread the Gospel. I'll preach there. And then I'll go to the next town and I'll just keep going and I'll just keep serving. His life was about service. He came and He served those that were sick. And some of them wanted His touch. Some of them were healed. And there were others that rejected Him and turned from Him and rejected His message. But He said, I will keep serving. I will keep loving. I will keep going. Because it is the will of the Father that I go that second mile. Do you go the second mile with the people in your life? Church, we have to go the second mile. Let us... Never judge what we're doing here at Crossway by what this church down the street is doing or what this church over here is doing. Let us simply ask ourselves, are we going the second mile in everything that we do? And let's answer to Him alone. The second mile of service. Reaching out to those even that don't want reach out to at times. 
Let them reject our message. Let them turn from our love. Let them say no to the Gospel. But at least let us give it to them. In the second mile. One of my notes says that true... I don't know who made this statement, but true heroism is remarkably sober. Very undramatic. Being a hero is not the urge to surpass all others at whatever cost. But to be a true hero is to have the urge to serve others at whatever cost. Church, I don't do what I do. Christ didn't do what He did. You cannot do what you do for the purpose of being seen by others. In that second mile, rarely will you be the hero. Nobody's going to know what you're doing there. Not very many people are going to appreciate your work. I want to talk to you about the second mile of prayer. There are several references to Jesus' prayer life in the Gospels. He prayed often. He prayed early in the morning. He prayed late at night. And sometimes He prayed all through the night. He prayed before critical events in His life. He prayed as He ministered to others. He prayed before His miracles. And He prayed for others. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, we find Jesus praying all night. One of the things that I have learned in my study of the saints of old is that praying all through the night and late into the night used to be a common practice. You know, praying all through the night is not an easy thing. I want to talk to you about the second mile of prayer. Jesus went there. He would pray all night. He would get up early in the morning to pray. You've heard it said before, if you've been in church any length of time, that it's almost become cliché. So don't let it become cliché when I say what I'm about to say. Think about this. Meditate on it. If Jesus had to pray as much as He prayed, how much more do we need to pray? If this man who was a hundred percent man, yet a hundred percent God, found it necessary to pray all through the night, late into the night, early in the morning, before he would do anything spectacular, before he would go out and preach, before he would do anything, he was a man of prayer. If he would pray through the night, all through the night, early in the morning, how much more do we need to? Can I be honest with the church this morning? Several months ago, matter of fact, it was in the, as God was forming this message in my heart, God began to show me the need to take my prayer life somewhere further, deeper. And as I tried, I found it was hard. You know why? Because the second mile is hard. It's work. The second mile is when you hit that wall and you feel like you've done enough. And what else is there to pray for? I even called a friend of mine and I just confessed to him that I need you to pray for me because I'm having a hard time with this. This type of prayer is work. It's not easy. I've got to make the time for it. And if you've ever wrestled in that second mile of prayer, you find your thoughts begin to wander. You find yourself arguing with yourself. I just leave this. Come back and try it tomorrow. Then you come back and the same thing happens tomorrow and you decide, "Ah, maybe it's just not the right season of my life. That second mile of prayer is difficult to keep pushing through and pushing through. Most of us pray until we're through praying. But we need to learn to pray until we get through to heaven. And if you've never prayed that way, and you're mocking me now and you're saying, well, Joplin, we know that God all hears our prayers and blah, 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 blah. I would suggest you've never prayed that way or you wouldn't be making fun of me. 
The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Have you ever prayed all night long? Jesus did. Have you ever prayed late through the night? Jesus did. Have you ever prayed early, got up early and prayed in the morning before you went about your day? Jesus did. And here's the kicker, friend. He did it for you. He did it for you. He loved you with a perfect love. And He loves you this morning with a perfect love. And in His ministry, as He went forward to do the will of the Father, ultimately, it was about the redemptive plan of Calvary's cross where He would bleed and die for you and I. He's never asked us to do anything He didn't first do for us. That second mile of prayer, we must learn to live in that place, to press into that place. It is the will of God. We see Him in Mark chapter 1 rise early in the morning to pray before He went out preaching the Gospel. I'm not going to say much more on prayer because I just preached a whole sermon on it three weeks ago. The last comment I'll make I made three weeks ago. And that is this. That our half-hearted attitude towards prayer. That with that attitude, we say to God, God, what You have began in the Spirit, we can continue in the flesh. We must pray. And we must push forward into the second mile of prayer. Finally, the second mile of total selflessness and submission to the Father's will. We watch Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know the story. Jesus is at the Garden of Gethsemane and He comes to the Lord and He says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. The Bible says he prayed and his sweat became as drops of blood. Jesus was asking in essence, God, if there's any other way, please, Lord, make another way. But nonetheless, I will go the second mile. I will go where You want me to go. I will do what You want me to do. But as He looked at where He was headed, as He knew the pain and the torture that He would endure, He was pleading with God for another way. That's the second mile. It says death to self. God, I'm willing to walk through this pain. I'm willing to be abused and tortured and done wrong. If it's Your will, if it's for Your glory, if it will bring people to You, if it is for the will of God, I will go that place. I want you to remember, it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. I believe it's number 5, right up here. Jesus is praying. Hours before He will breathe His last breath. And God is saying, Son, you're going to have to go the second mile. You're going to have to go all the way. Jesus would then be led away from the Garden of Gethsemane. As you know the story, the soldiers would come. They would ask where Jesus was. He would say, I am He. The Bible records that they all fell down. What a sight. They would arrest Him and they would lead Him from there to the hearing before Annas and Caiaphas. From there, He would be led to the trial before Pilate, His first trial. He would then go from there to be tried before Herod Antipas. 
he would be led back to the second trial before Pilate. They would strip him of his robe. They would tie him to a post. They would beat the flesh off of his back for you. By his stripes, we were healed. They would, they would rip the flesh off of his back with the cat of nine tails. They would pull the beard from his face. They would blindfold him and take a rod and beat him across the head. I'm talking to you about the second mile he was willing to go for you and I. They would mock him and say, prophesy to his Christ, who is it that hits you? And he remained silent. Imagine if he began to speak their name, their birth date, where they were raised. He knew everything about them. But for you, he was going the second mile. And after they tortured him and mocked him and beat him and pulled the beard from his face and spit upon him, they put the bar of the cross upon his shoulders and he began to walk from that second place where he met with Pilate. He began to walk to the crucifixion. Where he would eventually cry out the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. And they would take him and hang him up above the earth. And he would bleed in pain and torture for the sins of humanity. Because he loved you enough, he was willing to go the second mile. And He loved the Father enough that if there wasn't any other way, He was going to do the Father's will. I don't mean to... I generally try not to over-spiritualize passages. But when God was putting this in my heart, I was walking around praying and I felt led during that prayer to map out the distance that Jesus walked from the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross. And while there's no exact way to know the exact route that He took and the exact location of the cross, what you have here is a very general map agreed upon by the majority of scholars. This would have been the general route that Jesus took. The distance, exactly 35 100 meters, just over two miles. Can I tell you, he went the second mile for us. And, church, we must go the second mile too. Don't stop where everybody else stops. Don't get tired and say, man, it's hard in that place. Because God will give you strength. He's promised He'd never leave you or forsake you. He will be with you in that place. He's went there before and He'll go there with us. Don't stop where everybody else stops. We need to go the second mile of forgiveness. I'll ask our worship team to come at this time. We need to go the second mile of forgiveness. We need to go into that second mile of commitment to the house of God, the things of God. We need to go into that second mile of service and reaching out to a lost and dying world. We need to go into the second mile of prayer. And oh, do we ever need to go into the second mile of complete selflessness, total surrender to the will of God. God, it's not about me. And God, it doesn't matter if nobody appreciates what I do. Jesus said, Beware of doing your charitable deeds in front of men. But when you do them, do them in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, He will reward you openly. He sees you in that second mile. He sees you. And He will reward that effort. He rewards those who diligently seek Him. It is in that second mile that we really learn the will of the Father and begin to soak up the joy of serving Him.
fully and completely. I believe so many of us have bought into the lie that if I just go where everybody else goes and I stop at this first mile, everything's, I'm going to enjoy all the same blessings that, that, that God desires for us to desire, but it's not true, my friend. You must go that second mile. It's in that place of serving, completely being honest before God, total surrender to Him, total selflessness, that we really experience His life in us. And if you just go, step there. There's somebody here this morning. I don't know who it is, and I mean that before God. But there's somebody here this morning. You've got somebody you won't forgive. And it's killing you, and you don't know it. And if you'll just go that second mile this morning and say, I'm done. I'm going to forgive. God, I know I'm going to need your help to do it. I need the power of God in me to love through me and to forgive through me. But I am forgiving this person. You'll find, you'll be set free. It's in that second mile. This morning, are you stopping short? Church, are we falling short?